This week is going to be our final installment in our series, What We Believe. Uh, hearing these sermons and affirming belief in the doctrines they cover will be one of the qualifications for membership here at Love City Church. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to Acts. We're just going to jump right in and get to work. Uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 6. Uh, tonight what we want to do is approach with reverence and humility the subject of God's kingdom. Uh, the kingdom of God has been and can still be a point of confusion and contention among Christians. Uh, most of the disagreement or confusion surrounds questions like, what is it? Meaning the kingdom of God. Where is it? And when is it? Uh, let's read this scripture together to set the tone of our approach tonight. Okay, so we're in Acts chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 6. We're going to read through verse 8. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he, being Jesus, said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Here's what I want to do tonight, drawing from this scripture. I want us to humbly receive this verbal smack in the back of the head uh, for ourselves, okay? Because that's what you see Jesus doing here. I don't know. Sometimes I think we miss the humor in the Bible. I can, I can like see Jesus in this situation, you know, just like rubbing his temples. You know, this is one of those like, how long do I have to be with you type of things? Because here's, here's, here's the situation we have. We have the risen Christ, right? This is the guy that just got done uh, living a perfect life, um, being crucified, buried, and then rising three days later. He got done with all that, right? So he shows himself to many witnesses, and now he's, now he's standing in front of his men, ready to give them some instructions before he ascends into heaven, right? And so here's, here's what they're doing. Instead of, like, anxiously waiting for what, the, like, the Lord of glory has to say, they're, they're firing off their questions, right? They're, they're not... They're not humbly waiting to see what is it, Jesus, you want to say. It's like they, they want to get their word in edgewise. And I can, just see, I can just see Jesus like, you know, just ready to snap. But he doesn't, um, but he does correct them. And so what does he say? He says, it is not for you to know times which the Father has fixed. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's, he shuts it down right there because his men, his disciples, they were missing the point. They felt entitled to and wanted to focus on the exact date and time when God was going to do what he had promised. Now, when talking about God's kingdom and what he has promised in the future, people often miss the point. We are prone to do this today the same way the disciples did. We are prone instead of anxiously waiting to see what it is Jesus has to say to us about it. We want to fire off all of our questions to him and have all of our deepest curiosities answered. And a more humble approach would avoid us being in the same uh, situation the disciples were, which is kind of like, hush your mouth, listen to what I got to say. And you see what Jesus did. What did he do? He took them off of their selfish focus about their own curiosities being answered and pointed them right back to the mission and living in light of the very fact that his promises were going to come true. Right? What does he do? He says, don't worry about times and places. He says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you so that you can be my witnesses to all the world. That's what I want you to focus on. Don't get all tweaked out about all the specifics that really don't even matter to you. Here's what you need to know. I'm coming back. In the meantime, I need you to tell everybody you can that they can have hope by putting faith in the finished work that I've done. Right? And so let us humbly receive that tonight uh, as we approach this. I can tell you're excited about it. So that's good. It's really good. Yes. Woot, woot. Right? That's what the young kids say. Um, so... Martin Luther wisely said this. He said, there's two days on my calendar, this day and that day. And he's referencing the day when Jesus returns. And so our mentality should always be, we can do what we can do today, but it should always be motivated, fueled, and, and filtered through the grid of the fact that Jesus is coming back and he has given us a mission and a purpose on this planet. Uh, you were not born by accident. You are not where you are doing what you are doing by accident. God has a plan and a purpose for you. He's gifted you specifically for his mission, which is getting as many people as possible the good news of the gospel. In the same way that King Jesus instructed his men, I really want to encourage you now, 
don't be deceived or distracted uh, by people who claim to have the timing of the fulfillment of God's promises like all charted and figured out. As soon as someone stands up and says, I've, okay, I've got this chart, I've, I've used some news events, some other past stuff from history, and I can pretty much tell you when Jesus is coming back. I want you to, you know, kindly or not, just run, okay? They don't because Jesus clearly told us that no one knows the time of the hour when he's coming, and that's not even the point. The very fact that Jesus said no one knows the time of my return should cause us to live in a way that makes sense if he was coming tomorrow and if he was going to come long after we die. And that seems like a tension, doesn't it? But there is a way to do that. We should live with an urgency for the gospel, but it doesn't mean that we all get as many you know, cans of beans and candles as we can and go hide in a cave and wait for him to come. There's, there's extremes to that. We have to figure out how to balance gospel mission with living the life in the culture that God has called us to. We are called to be missionaries to this culture. Unless God calls you to Ecuador, Ghana, or some other place, which he may, and you better obey if he does, if he's called you to be here, you're no less a missionary than the person that he sends to foreign soil. You must understand that. You must understand that. Okay? Uh, turn with me to Mark chapter 10, verse 13. You're going to have a lot of opportunities today. Uh, as I told you several weeks ago, every time we, we reach something where maybe our questions aren't answered or it's something about God so deep and wonderful that we just can't quite grip it, we always have two options. We can either doubt in that moment or we can worship. When I come to the point where I understand that God is so much bigger than me that I'm trying as hard as I can with all of my mental faculties to grasp what it is he's saying and what it is he's saying about himself and his own character, uh, when I get to the end of that road and I, just, I still can't get it, I've got two options. I can then say, well, if I can understand it, then it's probably not true. That's definitely the wrong and prideful response. Or I can go, I'm really glad he's bigger than me and I can't grasp everything about him. I'm glad he's eternal and I'm not. And I'm glad he's way smarter than me. That's why I worship him. If he was just like me, I wouldn't worship him. I would hang out with him. That's not what we do. I worship God because he's bigger and smarter and better and wiser than I am. And I'm really glad about it. So we're going to Mark 10. Uh, what we want to do here is look at the scriptures first to answer as best as we can the question, what is the kingdom of God? Now, we're going to see here that in his normal fashion, Jesus turns on its head the classic understanding of kings and kingdoms. Normally, to hear the word kingdom invokes in our minds words like power, prestige, royalty, control. Here, Jesus is going to obliterate those misperceptions for us, as he often does. So, let's read together Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 13. And they were bringing children to him, so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. This was another disciple mess-up moment. This is another point where I can just see Jesus sitting over there rubbing his temple like, I, seriously, guys, I'm going to have to lay the whoop down on you if you don't start getting it. Right? It's like he, said, he actually said it one time. If you've read your Bible, you know Jesus said, how long am I going to have to be with you for you guys to get this? Right? So he's, he's indignant. He's not, he doesn't just say, hey, guys, go ahead and let them through. He, you can just tell, like, I could just see Peter looking out of this corner of my eye and like catching Jesus' eye and like the look on Jesus' face that they're not letting the kids come. I could see Peter going, oh, it's okay. Come on, kids. All the kids come, right? Just going to the 100% reverse because, you know, I'm sure. You know, I've been told I have this vein in my head. Like when I get to a certain level of frustration, it points out. I just, I just imagine that Jesus, it was just clear when he was upset. I, just, I think the disciples were with him enough, right? They're on a three-year camping trip. They're like together all the time. I'm sure they knew when the master was not thrilled with their actions. And so uh, this was one of those times. It says Jesus was indignant, not thrilled about the fact that they were holding back the children from them. And this is from him, and this is what he said. And he said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them laying his hands on them. Now, let's, let's think through what we learn that the kingdom is not from this passage. A couple of things that we can, we can ascertain from what Jesus said here about the kingdom. Clearly, the kingdom of God is not a place. 
with geographical borders and limitations, right? Because what does he say? He says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. I can't receive a place. It's like, you know, if, if Ohio happened to be the kingdom of God, like how do, how do I receive that? It's not, oftentimes we think of kingdom, right? Like, you know, we, we don't have as many vibrant monarchies in our day as we did in the past, but it used to be like, this king ruled this area, like these are the lines. If you cross it, we're getting our horses and arrows, and we're about to do this thing, right? So a lot of times we think of kingdom as like a geographical place or location. Clearly it can't be. You can't receive that, okay? So we learned that about it. Uh, just another side note, not something I'm going to harp on real hard, but for some of us we need to understand that this means the kingdom of heaven is not America. The kingdom of God is not America, okay? Okay. Um, I, I'm thankful to live in this country, absolutely. And I think if you do, and you're not thankful to live in this country, you've prob- probably not been out of this country. Um, and I mean that in the most loving way I can possibly say it. However, uh, we can, and, and you see there in Acts, a, a little bit of this, this nationalistic blending of the kingdom of God where the, the disciples were looking for Jesus to come as, as this warrior king and just jack everybody up, including the Romans, so that Israel could stand up and say, "Woohoo! we're the kingdom of God, we're the best, best on the planet, right? And so sometimes that, that confusion, that nationalistic confusion can kind of bleed in because, you know, um, <clears throat> there's a lot of songs about being proud to be an American, right? Yeah. And, um, and we, you know, we've got, we've got a cool flag and like, you know, there's lots of pictures of fierce bald eagles and stuff and it just like makes you feel good, right? So, that's okay, and, and it's okay to, to be thankful that you're an American. However, um, the good old USA of A is not the kingdom of God, and I know that for sure because the kingdom of God is not a place. Um, it just isn't, okay? So that's the first thing we can learn from that. The second thing is that the kingdom of God is not heaven, as some mistakenly believe. You cannot, just, you cannot receive heaven. The kingdom of God is something Jesus says that we must receive and receive like little children, no less. So I can't, I can't receive the entirety of heaven. Some people think that heaven or their perception of heaven, that that is what is referenced when the kingdom of God is discussed, and that's not the case. The kingdom and the kingdom of God throughout the scriptures is a reference to his reign, okay? Where he reigns is his kingdom. And so that includes everywhere because we're talking about God, right? Whether it's the heavens or the earth, all things, everywhere, material, immaterial, all through time, everywhere that God reigns is his kingdom. That is the kingdom of God. And it takes faith like a child to receive the kingship, sovereignty, rule, and reign of God. He does rule over all time, people, and places. But he is not like a cruel human dictator who manipulates and coerces people through fear to serve them. See, part of our problem is, when we think of kings, we think of kings. Some of, some of you paid half of enough attention in history class to like know how some kings acted. And a lot of times, men, when given the authority that comes with the title king, become drunk with that power and do really evil things. Because they're not God. God is not like that. Uh, he's not like cruel human dictators. Uh, Jesus will let us reject him if, he, if we want to. And tragically, many people do reject the kingdom of truth and light, and instead they serve faithfully in the kingdom of lies and darkness and sin. This is often because they are deceived into believing that they are free if they don't pledge their allegiance to King Jesus and obey him. This is a common misconception and misperception. People believe that, that, that they'll say they think Christianity is simply religion, and thus it's a long list of do's and do nots, and so freedom is found in rejecting all of that and kind of being autonomous and, and serving yourself. The problem with that is they don't realize that in serving themselves, they are in fact enslaved by their own sinful lusts and desires. So it's a, it's a great deception. People believing that they're rejecting God to kind of do their own thing don't understand that they are in fact wearing shackles of selfishness and they're, they're enslaved to sin. And here's the thing, there's only two kingdoms. There's only two potential teams that you can be a part of. You don't get to make your own team and stay neutral, right? This isn't, this isn't the playground in elementary school when, you know, both kickball teams were mean to me. I'm starting my own game over here, right? Uh, maybe I was the only kid that did that. But uh, 
This is not that situation. You are either serving Jesus uh, or you're serving Satan. If someone is not joyfully serving the kingdom of God, they are serving his enemy, Satan. Receiving Jesus as king and serving him with your whole heart is the only place that real freedom, joy, peace, meaning, and purpose can be found. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because that will, that will affect the urgency in your mission. If you are thoroughly convinced that the only place that people that you love are going to find real meaning, purpose, joy, and fulfillment in their life is to serve Jesus and to understand the hope of the gospel, I believe you'll be more motivated to ask God by his help through the power of his spirit to reach those people with the truth of the gospel. I think sometimes it's our own lack of being convinced in the very truth that we claim to believe. There is only one place where hope is found. There is only one place where actual true, deep down in your soul, unshakable joy is found. And that is in service of King Jesus who loves us and proved it by dying on a cross. Only one place. There are a myriad Countless other pursuits that men have tried and they've found every one turns up in the end, vain, empty, hollow, and it lied. The tragedy is that oftentimes it's at the end of men's lives when they come to these realizations. Thank God, for whatever reason, today, even if it's the first time you're sitting in this room to hear that that's not the case. You should thank God in heaven for that. Speaking of faith like a child, can I encourage everyone in here to learn absolutely everything you can from children? Um, Jesus really liked kids, and he really encouraged us to observe them and to try to think like them, and especially in how we relate to him as father, and, how, and especially as it comes to trust and faith, to try to respond to him as a child does. And uh, For those of you that may not know, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old. Her name is Lucy. Um, this could just be the dad in me, quite possibly the cutest child on the planet. Um, I think she'd get more votes than just me. However, um, so she's my girl, and I love her so much. But she taught me something today by accident. Um, she didn't know she was teaching me something, but she did. Um, I was in the kitchen, and uh, we have a drawer, like most of you, that you know is the, the utensil drawer, right? So you've got your ladles, spoons, whisks. But then oftentimes that drawer becomes the whatever I don't have another place for drawer, and so it begins to mount and pile, right? And so, um, you know, it's my fault, hon, not, not yours. I'm not blaming you. Uh, I'm sure I put everything in there that doesn't belong, okay? Let me just say that publicly. Um, so on with the story. But so this, this drawer has gotten to that point, right? It's starting to fall apart. Corners are coming apart. And so I go to pull the thing out to get something, and it's like, stop. And so... Uh, you know, I'm not OCD about much, but, like, that's on the list. Like, I, I can't go, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm yanking on the thing, and, like, it's, it's not wanting to come out. I'm thinking, I'm going to have to break this to get it out. And I'm getting frustrated, and I'm, like, I, I'm sure the, the V-vein is coming out of my forehead. And I'm, I'm pulling on it, and I'm like, come on! You know, I kind of give this, like, frustrated uh, exhortation to the drawer, like, as if it's going to hear me and listen. And uh, Lucy's in the living room with Natalie, and she's like, what's wrong, Dad? And, and I, I ignored her because I was, you know, so focused on... Uh, this epic battle I'm having with the uh, utensil drawer. And so um, I, I kind of ignored her, and, and so Natalie answered her and said, um, the drawer is broke. And Lucy, with zero hesitation, said, Daddy can fix it. And uh, I stopped, like it caught me, it caught me even right in that moment, in, in, the, in the midst of my frustration, because I didn't even have the drawer out yet. I didn't know what was wrong with it. I didn't know yet if I could fix it. And for some reason, my little two-year-old, just she heard it was broke, and she knew I was involved with messing with it. She said, Daddy can fix it. She just trusted right at that moment. She had faith. She didn't need any more details. And, and some of it may have, have to do with the fact that she's seen other things break around the house, and I fixed it. Um, she, she, other things, and so, right, are you putting yourself in Lucy's shoes here? The things in your life that have been broken, you've seen Jesus come and fix it. we got to get to the point where, like Lucy, there's just no question. Something else comes up, man, and, and it is for her. I, I need to be more like her. See, we want to ask a thousand questions first before we're going to put faith in the fact that God is able to do what he said he can do. When things break, when things are messed up, when things are not going the way they should, he is absolutely able. 
See, there's no question for him. I didn't know if I could fix the drawer. God is sure, and he's already told you. <laughs> no matter what it is, he's got you. If you trust him. You got to trust him like a little kid. Like my little girl trusts me. And so now, I'm under a lot of pressure. If anything breaks in that house, by God, we're not calling a repairman. Daddy's going to fix it. So uh, now that she threw that out there. So we're going to have to sneak one in after bed or something. If, if I can't get it, I'll be on YouTube. How do I do this? You know, um, you can learn a, a, a scary amount of things on YouTube. Um, but that's another story. So to hear and understand that the kingdom of God is not a specific place or even only a future promise that can cause for us some confusion, um, especially for a person that might be reading the scriptures and really thinking through what they're saying. Because if, if, you, if you read like where John the Baptist is preaching, you know, he's preaching in the wilderness and he's saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, and that was 2,000 years ago. Like he's giving this sense like, get it together. Let's baptize you in this Jordan River because the kingdom of God is upon us, right? And so that you, you see that and yet, we read through the rest of the scriptures that Jesus is returning to once and for all utterly destroy Satan's sin and death and that we will uh, not all be in heaven for eternity but that his kingdom is going to be here on earth. Reve Revelation paints for us a, a beautiful prophetic picture of the new earth and it will have no sin and no pain and there will be no tears. And the literal presence of God will be dwelling continually among his people. So the question comes up if you're a thinking person, if you're aware of all of those scriptures, you begin to ask, well, did the kingdom come like John the Baptist was preaching? Or is it yet to come like the book of Revelation says? Did, did it come? Was John the Baptist lying? Was he, was he just being figurative? Was the kingdom of God being upon us? Was he like just trying to trick them, but really they had 2,000 years plus to get ready? What, which one is it? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Both of these are true. The kingdom of God is a reality today. Those of us who have put faith in the finished work of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins are a part of the kingdom of God. Right now, today, the kingdom of God is in existence. Our response to the good news of the gospel should be to live out lives fueled and motivated by love towards God and others. And yet we see clearly as we look in the scriptures, as we look at what Revelation and other scriptures has to say, pointing to the future, that we see clearly that the, though the kingdom of God is a reality today, it has not reached its full consummation. Though we can belong to Jesus today and we can actively participate in building and furthering his kingdom, right? He gives us the privileged opportunity to be a part, not only letting us in as a citizen, but also a participant in building and furthering his kingdom. We do that by loving God, loving people, and making disciples. We still look forward longingly to the completion and culmination of the plans and promises of God. So even though we are, those of us that have put faith in the finished work of Christ, we are active participants in the building of God's kingdom. It has come. It has not come in its fullness, and it has not been fully consummated. We see that end picture painted most vividly in Revelation of Jesus coming back. The Bible talks about him in just really graphic, sometimes scary, but ultimately beautiful language if you're a Christian. He's coming back with a sword sticking out of his mouth and he's going to lay waste to his enemies. And that for us is something we look forward to. If you're on Team Jesus, right? Team Jesus is going to win. I, I don't know where everyone's at within the sound of my voice, but I, I can assure you, we know how this ends. I know sometimes you look around today, it might seem like the other team has a, a leg up or a hand up that maybe Satan is, is getting the upper hand. I promise you, the end game, the end of the day, King Jesus wins. And those with him will stand victorious and triumphant and joyous. Everyone who has opposed the King of glory, creator God of all, will rue the day they made that decision. Part of our privileged job and purpose as being citizens of this kingdom is to let as many people as possible know they don't have to serve on that team. And they don't have to be a part of that kingdom. They don't have to live in darkness. They can have the light and the hope of the gospel. It's a beautiful thing. I'm not worthy of that honor. I know it for sure. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6. 
it's so heartbreaking that so many people reject Jesus as king. Can we be honest with each other? Can we just call a spade a spade here? Uh, everyone can tell that things are not as they should be, right? You look around in this world, look at the death, the destruction, just the terrible way that people are to each other and, and how just nasty it is out here. It, it's quite obvious that things are not as they should be. And men have tried and continue to try every possible remedy and solution to the pain and death and utter brokenness in the world. I assure you of this. We cannot and will not ever solve the problem because we are the problem. Let that sink on you for a minute while I find my place in the scriptures here. We cannot and will not ever solve the problem because we are the problem. It's our sin, it's our rebellion against the loving God who created us that caused this mess. And it is only the total and complete reinstatement of God's kingdom that will right all that is wrong. It's not that men have not tried to fix it, right? Philanthropic endeavors, through politics, through totalitarian regimes, we'll just, we'll just seize power of everything and make everybody act right. How is that gone? Any time, any man has tried to do that. Has it worked? Did it work for Stalin? Did it work for Mao? Did it work for Hitler? Didn't work. The corruption and the sin in men's hearts always brings about the reality that any hope for some utopia outside of God's complete rule, it's a fairy tale. It won't happen. It can't happen. And this is our hopeful expectation as Christians. We are looking forward to the day that our sovereign God and warrior king comes to lay waste to his enemies and ours and claim us as his rightful possession for eternity. I look forward to that day. I'm excited for that day. I think about it. And I'm glad that I have the scriptures that tell me this. How often in your prayers do you, do you legitimately thank God for the word? And not just as a repetition, but you, you really thank God that he gave us the word. Because you know, he didn't have to do this. He could have left us to stumble and figure out, to just kind of understand through nature alone that clearly something really powerful created us. But he gave us this word, full of promises and full of the truth of the gospel. I'm so thankful for the word. I think sometimes... Sometimes we'd treat it different. Sometimes we'd approach it different if gratitude was our primary feeling towards it, not one of responsibility and duty only. I'm grateful for these scriptures. I'd have no reason for hope. I'd be in sad shape if it wasn't for the word. Many are going to ask, with no more problems to solve, so King Jesus is going to come back. He's going to claim us as his own. He's going to lay waste to his enemies. That means we've all won there's no more sin, tears, fear, pain, or sadness. If there's no more problems to solve and we don't have to toil and work and provide for ourselves by the sweat of our brow, then what are we going to do for eternity? I've had people concerned about the thought of heaven for fear of getting bored. And I want to address that. God's eternal kingdom, are we going to be bored? Is that God's ultimate plan? To save us, to redeem us from sin and hell and death and the grave, to just put us all in a big spot to drool for eternity with our boredom, right? Is that, is that the big plan? I don't think so. So let's see why, okay? One thing we do have to look forward to for sure as Christians is judgment. I was looking for surprised faces. I could, I could see, I, I anticipate your objection to that. You, you could think to yourself, wait, did I hear him right? I didn't think we got judged because Jesus paid the price for our sins. And you are exactly right in that. You're exactly right that we will not be judged in the same way those that have not received Christ will be judged. Our sins have been forgiven because of the finished work of Christ. However, the Bible tells us clearly um, those sins will be forgiven. But let's read here in 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 6. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, 
for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Who? All appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, here's what we learn from this, and here's what we see from this. This and a, a culmination of other scriptures that I don't have time to trace down right now, here's the truth that we can pull from this. We will be judged. All of us, Christian and non, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Our judgment as those that have put faith in Christ and are children of God will be drastically different from those who are not. Our sins are totally forgiven, therefore there is no need for a judgment to be passed about that. The blood of Christ has covered our sins. However, what we know from this and other scriptures is that there, there will be varying levels of both reward in heaven, but also punishment in hell. And let me be clear about this in case anybody was wondering or did not know this. Jesus talked more about hell than anybody else. We do believe in a literal hell here at Love City Church. That's going on audio and out to the interwebs for everybody to hear. We have to stand on that truth. We have to erase a whole lot of what Jesus said to get to some place where there is no hell and it's all just kind of hunky-dory in the afterlife, okay? But as we learned earlier and as we talked about earlier, the only people in hell are going to be ones that reject the good news of the gospel. God is not a, a totalitarian dictator that's going to force everybody to love him. You get to be with the God you love for eternity. I'm going to get to be with Jesus for eternity. That's who I love. Those that, those that have loved money all their life and chased after that, they'll, they'll get to be with that burned up forever. Those that have served themselves thinking that, that they were serving nobody, but really because they didn't know the truth, were serving Satan, they, they will get to be with they will get to be with the master they've served and loved. You do get a choice. You can reject the gospel or you can receive the gospel. I'm with you. I have thought before, God, wouldn't it have been better if you just made us all do the right thing? And the reality is that's one of those places where we can doubt our worship. God clearly saw fit to have in us a relationship like, like father and children as opposed to to tinker and robot. God could have made us as completely robotic to only do his very bidding. We could have been puppets, him, the puppet master. He did not choose that. He chose to make us in his image and to give us the ability to either reject him or receive him. Hell is hard to deal with, but instead of letting that lead you to some type of prideful judgment about God and his justice, it should motivate you to share the gospel with as many people as possible so that they not need ever taste the pain of hell. There's a way out. It's the gospel. And we carry it. We carry the message of hope. We carry the message that makes the difference. God has commissioned us to be ambassadors of reconciliation and in this world. We carry the message of light to those that have lived in darkness and are deceived. This is the greatest honor ever bestowed upon anyone, and oftentimes we treat it like a lackluster duty and something we'd rather not be bothered with. We learn from 2 Corinthians 5 that we will all stand for judgment, and so that will happen. That will take up at least part of the time in eternity. There will be varying levels of reward based on how you steward your life, and there will be varying levels of of punishment in hell. This is why Jesus told so many parables encouraging, encouraging us not just to get saved and then continue as if nothing was different. I would encourage you to read Matthew 25 later in light of all that we're saying. But in it, we see Jesus encouraging us to live as generous and faithful stewards of our time, talent, and treasure. Is it, here's a question. Is it evident from your calendar that you belong to Jesus? I know some of you younger folks, I would put myself in this category, you know, not so long ago. Uh, you're like, calendar? 
What that is, is it's something that you organize your schedule by it. It's like got days and stuff, and you can write stuff in there. It's pretty cool. I don't know who invented it, how long they've been around, but they're really helpful. Um, So what I'm saying is, from your schedule, is it obvious that you belong to Jesus? Or does it, would it be murky at best to determine who you belong to based on how it is you allocate your time? What could we tell? Let's say we just Truman showed you and did the video all the time. What would we find out about the allocation of your time? Would it show somebody that belongs to Jesus and is committed to his kingdom? Or would it look like it's mostly about us and what we want and our priorities? How about your account statements? I was going to say checkbooks, but I didn't want to spend the time explaining what those were. Um, Are you faithfully stewarding the things that God has entrusted to you with the purpose over and above everything else of furthering his kingdom? Are you faithfully stewarding the time, the talent, and the treasure that God has entrusted you with the purpose above everything else? It's okay sometimes to do things out of a desire or just for enjoyment, you know, have hobbies and things like that. I'm not saying that everybody has to 24-7, you know, be out passing out tracks in the streets, okay? That's not, that's not my point. But is all of your life motivated and shaped, fueled, and, and is the very passion that drives you? Are all of your decisions filtered through the fact that you're a part of God's kingdom and commissioned with its furthering and with its building? Does that even come into the equation when making a decision? about how we're going to spend time or how we're going to, what we're going to do with our talents or how it is we're going to divvy out the treasure that God has given us. Here's the thing. The Bible says that we were dead, dead in our trespasses and sins. Spiritually speaking, we... We may, as, we may as well have been zombies, man, just walking around with nothing to do but consume others. That is what we did. That is who we were. Before Christ came and did something on the inside of us, took us from spiritually dead to alive, gave us hope and a reason to look forward to the coming of his kingdom. We were dead. We were dead. And that's, and that's why it kills me when people say things like, oh, the church just wants your money. I'm with Jesus. I'm rubbing my temples. What are you talking about? That's not your money. That's his money. He just gave you a little bit to hold. Don't come talking to me about the church just wants your money. I'm not saying that there are not churches that have not given the name of Christ a bad name by misappropriating funds. Yes. Absolutely that's true. And they will answer for that severely. That judgment day is coming I was talking about. It's going to take up some of our time and eternity. That's probably going to come up. And just so you know, I've connected all those dots, so I'm real scared about that, right? Fearing the Lord in certain areas is a very healthy thing. When it comes to the money he has given to me personally and a steward through the sweat of my brow that comes into my home, I, I want to know that I am considering his will and honoring him with the portion that he has entrusted to me. And definitely the funds, as it pertains to this house, are, are prayerfully and very considerately spent for the furthering of his gospel. We understand that Jesus pays attention to that. He can count. Jesus is really good at math. Creator of it, you know. Yeah. Well, since we're here, um, <laughs> since we're here, we may as well talk about everyone's favorite. Okay? Let's just do it. We're in the What We Believe series. We might as well... Get it on the record. Let's talk about tithing. Ready? All right, good. Everyone loosen your collar. <clears throat> Everyone excited? Let's do it. Yeah. Buckle your seatbelt. Here's the thing. I'm just going gonna, gonna to make a few points about it, um, talk about it. Some, some of you will want to jump up and cheer about what I have to say. Some of you may not be back. Hallelujah. I love you. It's not your money. Even if you run out of here offended and go to some other church, if they won't tell you that, then don't go there, please. I love you. I love you too much to go somewhere where someone's going to sugarcoat it. Everything you have. Everyone do this. Let's just do something real quick. Go. Now let it out. That right there, that belongs to God. 
So I know some of you have got it jacked up in your head, and you're like, I go and work for my money. It'd be really hard to go do that without breath in your lungs. And he owns that. You're welcome. I love you. Okay, so tithing. Uh, tithing is not talked about in the New Testament um, explicitly. It is talked about in the Old Testament a lot. Here's what is talked about in the New Testament uh, very clearly in many times. Sacrificial and generous giving. Now, so what does that mean for us here as far as tithing is concerned? I believe the way I approach it, me and my wife and our life personally for us, um, I understand those of you who, who don't like the tithe and argue against it because you don't see it represented in the New Testament strongly. Here's the thing. I, it's not my money. So I don't want to get anywhere close. If God in the Old Testament wanted 10% of what his people had, well, my God, now we're, now we're past the cross. I've got even more reason to give than they did. So for my wife and me and our life, the tithe is the floor and not the ceiling of our giving. The tithe is where we start, okay? Uh, those with, however, here's the thing. We're not, we're not going to do what some churches do. And I'm not, this is not me uh, <clears throat> necessarily judging this negatively. I'm just telling you we're not going to do this. There, there are places you can go that in order to be a member, you've got to bring in financial statements, prove what you make, and like they're going to look and see and make sure that you are in fact tithing. Um, I, I want you to love Jesus enough and have your big girl and big girl pants on enough for us to not have to do that extra administrative work. I want you to give generously and sacrificially. And that's part of the key, sacrificially. So that means different things for different people, right? There are single moms that are a part of this fellowship that 10% would crush them financially. There are people in here that have been doing it a little longer or they, they have a, a job or their financial situation is such that 10%, they don't feel it whatsoever. So here's how I see the kingdom of God working and us bringing together our resources. For me, the people that 10% is, I mean, not even something that would be noticed for them, I believe they should make up for maybe where the single mom she can't do 10%. And there's people that won't like that I said that. There's people that have been taught for years, you know, you just do that 10% and, and, and God will honor. And, and the reality is I believe he would, and I never, ever, 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 ever have regretted a dime that I've put into the furthering of the kingdom. I've made a lot of dumb money decisions. Everyone else in here has done perfect with money, right? Nothing you ever regret. We all do dumb stuff with money, man. We, are, we do. We're really prone to that. I, I promise you, I regret not one dime that I've put in to the furthering of God's kingdom. Never made a better investment. I've done real estate investing. There's all kinds of things I've done. There's investments I've made. I've made money. I've lost money. Never made a better investment than putting a dollar into the furthering of this beautiful gospel, the greatest truth that any man or woman could ever hear. Never regretted it, and I never will. Generous and sacrificial giving, that's going to mean different things for different people. For some single moms in here, five bucks, she feels that. Like, that affects her budget, and she will feel that. And I believe God will honor that. For some of you, 10% of what you have, doesn't even matter. I, I personally, for my life, believe I should give till I feel it. I should give till it hurts a little bit. Because Jesus gave till it hurt a lot. The right question is not, how much of my money should I give to God? The right question is, how much of his money should I keep for myself? This is the right way to think. You can push back against it. You can gnash your teeth at me. You can say, look, you're just like those guys on TV. Listen, man, I don't care. Ultimately, what you, if you give offerings at all, whatever you do, I don't care, and I don't look at it. All I know is I'm going to worship Jesus with every part of my life, and I understand that whatever money I have control of is not mine. I am simply a steward of it. And so I'm going to ask the question, God, how much of your money should I keep for myself? And I'm definitely not going to start lifting prayers to him like, how much of my money do you want, God? 
That, to- that shows you have a totally inverted, jacked up understanding of how all this works. Remember the breath exercise? Do we need to do it again or you remember the point of that? Remember? <laughs> yes, that's his, right? So, so are your greenbacks. All right. When you worship God with offerings here or at any faithful church, you must remember you are giving to God and not to man. That's a big hang-up people have. Church just wants my money. Listen, man. If you have figured out, if there's a scripture I missed where, you know, God's got like one of those bank tubes that comes down to the earth and we can all just shove our cash and checks in there and ship it right up to him, I'm in. I'd much rather just bypass all the extra paperwork and just send it right up to him. Last I heard, we don't have that. So what God has done is established churches to gather together as faith communities to come together to accomplish his mission on the earth. And so that is why we come and bring our tithes and our offerings into the storehouse, into the faith community where God calls us to be a part so that we can continue to be a part of the mission of telling as many people as possible about Jesus. Preaching the gospel does cost money. Ministry does cost money. Absolutely. Uh, you know, literally because of rent and utility costs, the air we're breathing right now costs money, right? <laughs> just the very fact that we're gathered here together, it does. It's, it's just the way we live. The culture we have, you know, we have a, an economy with money. It's not all barter system. I mean, if, if one of you can get in office and get us back to trading seashells and leather for, you know, honey and berries, then great. Let's do it. I'm all about a barter system. That's just not the way it is right now. And most of you are not farmers, so, you know, you're not bringing <clears throat> young, unblemished virgin goats in here uh, to offer those up to God. So what we do is we bring of the first fruits that we have. We bring of our increase. And so I don't know about you, but when I work at the end of the week, I get paid in money. And so I bring some of that, and I worship God with it. And it is no less worship and probably more than when I stand and sing songs to him. Because it really takes obedience and a lot of love to him to let go of that money that so often has a hold of us. What was the point I was making? If you go to any faithful church, you have to remember that you're giving to God and not to man. In order to do that, you are going to have to trust that the leadership there uh, is going to be spirit-led in how to most effectively use those funds to accomplish kingdom mission. If you can't trust that, and that is why you don't give, you should go to a different church. You need to go somewhere where you can trust when you worship God with your tithes and offerings, those are going to be used to accomplish kingdom mission. If you aren't sure about that, if you aren't giving because you don't think the money's being, you're probably being prideful and stingy, and you should at least go to leadership and give them a chance, if, if you're feeling that way, to let you know how funds are allocated. Uh, but if you don't trust that, that's not a get-out-of-jail-free card to not worship the Lord with your money, uh, with his money. You caught me. Thank you. <laughs> it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card to not worship the Lord with his money. Uh, you should go talk to leadership. If the answer is not sufficient or you feel like God is not being honored or gospel mission is not being fueled by those dollars, go somewhere else. Go somewhere else because you shouldn't be under leadership that isn't spirit-led in how uh, tithes and offerings are used. Okay? That was fun. So, back to what we're going to do for eternity. Wasn't that a great little caveat there? I can tell you, man. All the smiles that were happening before, they're gone. I wish you guys could see my view sometimes. It's amazing. Bring up money, man. <laughs> it's great. Oh, I need to wear one of those GoPros just so you can feel like I do. Okay. Um, so, we are not told as much as we would like about how things are going to be specifically for eternity. There's all kinds of questions that people have. Here's the thing, though. We are told the most important thing that we do need to know, and that's that Jesus will be there. We're not told everything we want to know. I mean, there's people that got questions about, I mean, are animals going to be there? Are my animals going to be there? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Okay? I don't know. So I worship. Um, Um. I just took, you know, I took myself off my own track. Uh, are animals going to be there? Are we going to know each other? I mean, what's going to happen with husbands and wives? Jesus said we're not given in marriage there. What does that mean? What's the totality of that? For people that really love each other and are deep, and like deep covenant on this planet, like that's, a, that's kind of a bummer thought, you know? I think about not 
like not being with my bride forever, and it does. It, it, it hurts my heart, but ultimately I have to trust. I don't have all the answers completely how that's going to work, but what I do know, what I can have real peace and surety in is that Jesus is going to be there. And so that simple fact lets me know that a lot of our time in eternity is going to be spent in worship. Here's how I know that. There's two reasons why I would cite that I believe that that's true. First of all, the Bible talks about the fact that the throne of God is surrounded by angels and that all they do and have done for eternity, get this, is cry out singing, holy, 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 holy. They've not gotten bored. That tells me something. That tells me something about his glory. That, that tells me something about what we're in for when we really are face-to-face with the master, the God that created everything. Man, if there are beings that their very existence is spent completely and for always for eternity just declaring his holiness and they're happy with that, eternity is a long time. I think part of what we'll do is probably join in. The other reason I would say that has less weight, it's just personal experience. The the times when I have been closest to and most, most just kind of deeply enveloped in God's tangible presence, um, I promise you this is true. This is not, this is not in any way adding fluff. Time literally melts away. The times when I have been closest to God's presence, in times of intense and, and oftentimes prolonged worship, I, I will get to the end of that and realize what I thought was 30 minutes was three hours. I've come out of times like that in God's presence and in, in, in prayer and worship. Uh, and I, I, ha- I have a lot of just pain and physical issues in my body, things from just working too young and too hard and being dumb and I promise you that in God's presence, I'll, I'll realize right, just deep enveloped in his glory and his manifest presence, like it, it affects even my physical flesh. Like pains that I live with all the time and sometimes just forget about, I'll, I'll all of a sudden realize like, oh my gosh, that doesn't hurt. Um, and I'm just, I'm just telling you, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to convey to you that there's no chance you're going to be bored. If all it was, and I'm not sure this is true, but if all it was is, is that we're going to get there and we're going we're gonna, to like, perceive his glory in its fullness for the first time and we fall to our face and for eternity just enjoy his presence, we will be so fulfilled in that, if that's what it is. And I don't know, we're not given all the details, but I, I promise you, it's going to be the best. I wish I, had, I wish I had better words for it. It's going to be the best, man. I'm really looking forward to it. I look forward to that day. I yearn for it deeply. I can't, I can't adequately express. I, I feel like Paul, when he expresses this tension inside of him, he wants to go. Like he's, he's writing and he's saying, I, I so want to just be with the master. And yet I realize there's work to be done. And so... In the midst of that tension, you just trust his timing. And you do everything you can to further his kingdom with every breath he gives you. Because he's worth that. He's worthy of that.